2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're talking to a guy who we had on the podcast quite a while ago from the great state of South Carolina, Mr. Carl Brown. Carl, how are you doing?
0: Man, I'm doing awesome. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah. Awesome. I, I like the background, man. I'm digging the background. Of course, people who are watching this on YouTube can see that background right now. Uh, but, Jacob, how are you doing? I'm oh, doing well. I'm super excited. Uh,
1: this is going to be a fun episode. So, Carl, uh, we got to finally meet. In person, after all these years at the Mobile Hunters Expo in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, just a couple weeks ago now, and it was fun kind of hang out. you got to come stay over with us uh, at the Airbnb, and then also uh, got to do a a cool round table podcast episode, which uh, by the time this episode comes out, that episode would have been dropped uh, maybe a week or two ago. Um, So I'm excited to get you on because this is a topic we're going to be discussing, which is the, I'm almost going to call it the art of hunting blind, and we'll kind of explain what that means uh, throughout this episode, but it's really interesting when you find guys like yourself that will have success when just looking at aerial imagery, like say like looking at Onyx, finding an area that looks like where you've had success before habitat wise, pinch points, everything. And then maybe able to go in there and have success killing good bucks in those areas that maybe you haven't ever stepped foot in. Um, it, it, to me, it's a really, it's a skill set that a lot of people don't have. And to be honest, it's kind of talked down upon, in most of the outdoor hunting space everybody focuses so much on on this the scouting aspect that you know we all do i, I love scouting but there's something fun about when you go to a new area that maybe you get part, partly through the season you like, man i want to go check that this new spot and you go into an area that you've never been to before and on the very first sit you have an opportunity at a really good deer and i think that's what we're going to talk about quite in depth on this episode uh so carl Real quick, we're going to find out throughout this episode, what was the episode number on that you were on last time? Because I cannot remember. I know it was 100 and something. Um, It was a a hot minute ago. Yeah, it was like 2019, or maybe 2020 was uh, when that episode had come out. But to kind of give listeners who maybe don't know about you, they don't necessarily, uh, haven't heard that first episode you were on, give us a little bit of background about just your hunting experience, specifically hunting public land in South Carolina, and I guess some of the interesting dynamics of what you personally deal with in your part of South Carolina for how you actually hunt.
0: Well, most of our stuff here is uh, really thick. A lot of a lot of really thick woods. We do um, we do have some high ground, uh, public land that's planted pines, open um, more open flats than the the thicker. Uh, islands and stuff. I haunt the. Some of the islands are uh, boat access only. Saltwater tidal. We have eight to ten foot tide swing here. We got two highs and two low tides a day. They're uh, about six hours apart. So your high tides are about twelve hours apart. Uh, you've got a kind of time your hunts a little bit. Sometimes it involves leaving at 10 o'clock the night before and sleeping in a boat and waiting on the tide to come in high enough so you can get to dry ground and uh, you gotta you're on a you're on a stopwatch. you gotta either either get out, um, either bail out and you know be able to get out with the boat or you're staying for another six or eight hours sometimes. Um, A lot of times we we try to plan for that, you know, 12-hour span and catch a good tide where it's uh, rising. You're hoping to catch that tide um, mid to three-quarters tide incoming before daylight. So you can get in about an hour before daylight. And depending on the time of year and amount of daylight in the day, it gives you enough time to make two sits and you're still on a rising tide in the evening to come out. So you've got time to track and drag a deer. And um, Sometimes you got to spend the night with the mosquitoes too. (laughs) You don't quite make it. Uh, It's, it's just a little different uh, here. As far as that aspect is the islands and stuff. um, We've got a long open season. We have four and a half months of, uh, hunting season here we don't have uh we don't have broken down bow and rifle seasons although a large majority of our uh public land that's open for the the duration of the public season which is september 15th uh january 1st it is uh bow only a lot of a lot of bow only land around here which um cuts down this is really the land of the corn pile and the rifle so keep a lot of uh, people from, you know, inter- a lot of people don't even try the bow hunting thing where um, where I grew up in Florida. It's your first month, month and a half of the season's archery. So everybody bow hunts just about down there. It's a little different up here. So you got um, some places are a little less pressured than others. They don't, you know, you start cutting down on people with um, boat access and, the tides people you know a lot of people are scared to kind of leave their boat like that um also not as many people bow hunt and stuff so you can you can pick and choose your pressure a little bit on on the ground you hunt you don't have to you don't necessarily have to go hunt with 200 of your not so closest friends you can (laughs) you can kind of pick and choose what you hunt a little bit it's just uh, how much are you willing to suffer to do it
1: basically yeah absolutely well carl uh you were on a, a past episode andrew what was the episode
2: number it was uh 184 that was way back in 2020 and it's called hunting unpatternable bucks with carl brown and that's a uh, that's an episode guys i would highly recommend y'all go back
1: and listen to your story yeah he's got one. the one of the best alligator stories you'll, you'll <laughs> ever
2: hear dude
1: uh just i mean that's one reason why i haven't been to south carolina so far because carl scared me too much by that one game so uh you know it is what it is but carl on this episode this is something that again i've been wanting to kind of cover with uh you know someone like yourself who's had a lot of success kind of hunting blind and I i want to kind of pitch this to you just like early on in the conversation how would you describe what hunting blind is to you and how you actually use that, where you actually hunt majority of the time. Um, what it is to me,
0: uh, wandering around the dark lost most of the time, trying to figure something out. Uh, Um, it's, it's weird for me. It, I, I grew up with the, the scouting out of place. Um, you spend time going in pre-season or before you're hunting, going in, looking for sign, going in hunting and, and not doing a whole lot. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And I just, I had so many hunts that I didn't do much in places that to me should have had deer. I mean, just fresh scrapes were, uh, the, um, you know, it rained an hour before daylight and the scrapes fresh since the rain, fresh tracks, fresh rubs. I mean, I, I've covered tons and tons of ground used to just, I mean, beat the woods to death. We were, multiple times I've covered 10 to 15 miles in a day, uh, scouting and just literally, um you know, beating your boots to death. And it, it didn't pay off a whole lot for me, but what I found did was getting into new places and being in a place i've never been we would see more activity and and of course when i first started getting into having activity you know as soon as you as soon as you see start seeing deer somewhere i'd want to go back and i'd go back and i'd see less deer and i'd go back and i'd see less deer again and i had that happen over and over and over again and i started just not. I, I started just even if I saw a big deer or you know see a big buck have a have a good encounter and just couldn't quite pull it off or wasn't quite close enough, didn't get a shot. Whatever it was, I'd still I started moving even though I because I almost never repeated that encounter. Encounter almost never um, had a, a. I had one big buck on one of the islands that i had i did happen three days in a row within 50 yards of the same tree i kept moving trees about 50 yards he came in three days in a row but came in from a different direction all three days and i just happened to be in a place where he was intersecting i mean but that was when it really kind of started for me that deer came in from three different directions at the same time three days in a row and i was like man if if they're gonna be random i'm gonna start being random and i found i had this at least the same success if really better by just moving around and hunting places i'd never been before and never put pressure on and it's just it's turned out where it's worked well and it's hard it's so um against what most people are taught. And I mean, for the guys that go out there and scout and are successful doing that, man, keep doing it. If it works for you do it, but I've just f- found that it works for me here, but it's worked for me every state I've gone to. And I've hunted five or six different states now and it it uh, I almost always get on deer that way, whether it be up in the hills or the mountains or um, down here in the swamps or the, coastal flats or whatever it is it, it seems to pay off so that's what i just kind of keep doing
1: so for listeners and viewers when we're talking about the whole idea of hunting blind it's going into areas that you haven't previously scouted in some areas maybe you haven't even hunted before it's like the first time you're going in which is really kind of going back a little bit to what episode 116 covered with glenn solomon which really kind of kicked off this podcast uh where he's talking about going in the first time in it's always the best time now I know Glenn, from how he talked about his episodes, is areas he'd scouted the year previously, he wouldn't come back in until the first time he'd go in for the next season is when he was trying to go kill that buck in this area. Where Carl, and kind of what we're talking about hunting blind, is more so going off aerial imagery, going into locations that should hold deer, that have the pinch points, it, ha- it has everything you're looking for that should hold a buck and ha- funnel a buck by you. And going into the area, sometimes, and a lot of times, from what Carl will talk about, in the dark on a morning sit, and kind of honey your way through an area until you have that success. So for the listeners, Carl, give us an idea of what is your process when you're trying to find an area that you're going to go hunt blind in? What are you doing? What are you doing when it comes to the aerial scouting? What are you kind of looking for and how is that kind of compounded for you over the last few years of you really focusing on kind of hunting blind?
0: It's, it's definitely been a learning curve on figuring it out a little bit and by no means do i i feel like i'm an expert it, it you know I, I have plenty of sits that don't that don't produce anything um we don't have many sits we don't see deer um, when i say produce i mean a, a mature buck that's that's the i think the biggest thing is you have to make a decision on what you're hunting uh, if if you're going to hunt big bucks, you have to hunt big bucks and quit hunting deer. Um, there's a big difference in buck pinch points and routes and deer trails and deer sign. <clears throat> if I see a, a, a cattle trail, if y'all have ever found that that trail that is, it's, Six eight inches wide and looks like it has a thousand deer tracks in it. Two things about that: it's almost always does, um, sometimes some young bucks, but it's also usually nocturnal travel. I, when I was still trying to figure out how deer moved, and I'd get in places I knew deer were, I tons of sign, but I didn't find, I didn't see deer out of the sand. <clears throat> I'd drop my bow down on the ground so I wasn't so I wasn't still hunting and um I would just sit on some private properties where you know I wasn't breaking any laws by still being out there but I just drop my bow down on the ground so I wasn't still hunting and I would sit there sometimes till three or four in the morning till I heard them come by and turn a light on every once in a while when I'd see them coming by and at night I would see a lot more of single file deer lines where a group of does would be in single file, but when you see them in the daytime, they're scattered out feeding more. And at night, they would be more making a beeline to from point A to point B, I guess, you know, bedding, feeding, whatever they're doing, but they would be more single file walking. And that's what those cattle trails, you you find them. And it's like, oh man, when, you know, when you see them and there's just, it looks like a thousand deer tracks. Well, if you got six or seven does, I mean, that's that's uh, that's a lot of tracks. It's a lot of hooves hitting the ground at one time going through. So, but when I find that, I will go perpendicular to that and start looking for a trail paralleling that, that's small. And usually you'll find a buck trail right off of that large doe trail. And he'll come through there just a wind check for the the dose going by um and he'll he'll come through in the daytime sometimes um and sometimes that's all I find going in but when I I get on on X I look for I'm looking for a couple of things uh to to start with I'm trying to find some difference in terrain um our, most of our Land pretty flat we don't have a lot of elevation change here so topo stuff doesn't help you a lot when you're dealing with 5 foot elevation changes um you know the you look at a, an entire WMA here may have three topo lines on the entire property <laughs> you know it just it it's very gradual most of the time um <clears throat> So you don't have a lot of elevation stuff that you have farther north or west than here, but I am looking for things that come together. I'm, I'm looking for swamps. I'm looking for uh, you know, young growth, old growth, multiple things. Uh, the more things I can find intersecting together, the, the better. I'm looking for thin spots in a swamp. You know, you got a big wide swamp that necks down and gets narrow in a spot. Um, The two closest points of high ground across from each other on a swamp. Anything to uh, narrow down where deer are going to move from A to B and they're going to, take the easiest route they're not scared of water here Um uh, if anybody that's hunted the southeast around swamps and stuff n- knows deer aren't afraid of water they, they're they're about half fish down here i mean they they will swim and they don't prefer to swim across open water but they will um, but they're not afraid to walk chest deep through the swamp so that that water that most people don't want to go in and think a lot of people think deer you know will shy away from water because it goes over their boots that deer doesn't wear boots and he's not worried whether it hits his knee or his his hip it doesn't matter to him but you have to you have to figure out what you're trying to do are you trying to are you trying to kill a deer you're trying to kill a big buck and then you have to start looking for places where big bucks will be and it de- depending on the pressure around where you're at, you've got to hunt people along with figure out where people are going to go. I mean, if you go to a piece of public that has high pine flats that drop down to a swamp edge and it's not that hard to get to, it's within you know a half mile of a parking area or some, something like that, those people, most people are going to go to that swamp edge. They're, they're going to try to go down to that swamp edge. Um, those are the kind of places where I'm looking at stuff right off the road. I, I'm, I'm looking, I, I've killed a lot of deer, not far off the road. I've killed a, a lot of deer also on um, places where there's houses nearby. And I've, shoot out where i can listen to people talk while they're in their backyards it that's kind of something that's one of my favorite things to do is find places up against houses and i found big bucks will actually when they have the option of moving farther away from the house they'll move they'll regularly travel where almost like they can keep track of the people where they can check on them and it, and you can try this. If you get around uh area where you're hunting, where there's a lot of houses and you get up behind those houses where you can see them and you back up until you are absolutely sure that somebody standing in their backyard couldn't see you in the, in the woods. If you look down, I almost guarantee you, you'll be on a rub line almost every single time. And you could go back. That deer has the option of walk, having a trail 500 yards back and he will use that spot where I, and I don't know, but I just assume that it's a way of keeping out of danger somehow on being able to keep track of the people. Um, It's almost like he can check on the pressure, but I have found that a bunch of times. I've killed a lot of deer within 50, a hundred yards of house when they have, when I could have gone deeper and been farther back, but that's where the sign is, and it's um, as far as picking spots. <clears throat> I'm looking for the I'm looking for the normal stuff. I think that most people are looking for a pinch point, a um, uh, some some reason for deer to travel from point A to point B. But when I get into that spot is when I start looking at the sign, not so much to hunt the sign, but to confirm the spot that I thought was going to be good. There's a lot of times I get into a spot where, you know, it looks great on Onyx and you drop down in there and there's just nothing. You've got a, you know, you've got a dry creek bed or a wet weather swamp with a, on a hard rain. It, it, it washes all the leaves out of a little low trough in it so you've got a, 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 hard pan, clear dirt or mud bottom, and there's just not a single track in it. Well, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to, you know, it doesn't matter that I thought the spot was supposed to be good. I'm going to keep moving and try I'm going to find something, uh, um, to, to make me sit there. But one of the biggest things I look at is probably tracks. I'm looking for a track. Um, I have heard for years that a track spread out, you see a, you see a big rear, rear hoof on a mature buck and you get a big buck. It's you, know, that's for us, a big buck is you know, 170, 180 pounds, 190 pounds or so is a, a usually your bigger size deer here. Um you get that bigger mature buck his back foot is going to be spread out and i've heard for years that that was a running track i've watched deer walk by more than once and i've got down and checked their tracks and i know they weren't running because i watched them you know walk by at 60 yards a little out of range went over and checked and i mean it's spread out like your like your hand spread out It almost opposing hooves that for <laughs> I'm looking for that, but I'm not just looking for a set of tracks. I'm looking for a set of tracks that go both directions, multiple times. I want to, I don't want the place he walked through one time. What is most deer sign that you see? Well, all deer sign that you see is just where a deer used to be. It doesn't mean they're coming back. And um, I have a hard time hunting uh, feed trees here. I've tried to, I've found a few that produce, um, but usually most of our terrain's fairly consistent as far as if you do have a, a red oak or a white oak or something like that that's dropping, you probably have more than one. And how do you pick that one tree when you have a thousand? so instead of taking i don't know about y'all but i'm not very lucky i haven't won the lottery and i haven't won hardly any raffle i've ever played so why why play your chances on a thousand trees when you can hunt that one spot that is the only place they're going to come from and that's what i'm that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for that that one thing that they they're coming from and that's what i'm trying to find on onyx is that place that that finite point that they're going to come from
2: there's there's so much there to unpack me and jacob have been arguing over who gets the next question because you said the thing I, about them walking behind the houses that jacob was over here he was like squirming I, 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 it was
1: just gonna be a <laughs> statement it wasn't a question but like I've seen that in Tennessee, I've seen that in Alabama, and I've seen that in Arkansas. Like, Arkansas last year, there was a piece of the public that we were hunting that had a couple fish camps close to it, Um, and uh, there was tons of people at those houses, at those fish camps, and there was a thick buffer line of, of like, just, uh, like, just all kinds of thick thick stuff like there was a chinese perfect all kinds of stuff but we were like 130 140 yards from uh those houses during archery season bow hunting before muzzler came in and dude all the deer came from the houses i saw i think in that spot two days saw like 25 deer almost 30 deer in that one spot And every single one of those deer came from that thick brush line behind the houses behind the fish camps uh and came out into the oaks st- in front of us and, and fed and um uh, and like you <laughs> said what i was going to say and i'll pitch over to andrew there was that rub line. Right? You couldn't see the houses, but they were there. Like you looked on Onyx, they were like again, you know, 130, 140 yards from you. It you was know, just thick behind the houses, right where we were at. You could barely see maybe a couple of roof lines. That was it. And that rub line was running right down that edge of that thick cover, up right between the feed trees, all the oaks, and all that thick cover. And there's scrapes everywhere. And uh, so anyways, I just, I just had to say that. Yeah. I've, I've seen the exact same thing, but I'll put you back over and there. And I don't,
0: I don't know why they do it. I, Like I said, I just guess and assume they do it to, like, check on the people. Because, uh, like, that place you were just talking about, I'm sure they, they had the ability to be farther away. But they will be right in that thick line, right behind the houses, just where you, if you back up, you're absolutely sure people could not see you standing in the woods it's almost always right there. And I've never really been able to figure out why I just, I just know it's there. And if, if there's houses nearby or something like that, that's something, that's something usually I'll try. That's a, that's a place I'm not afraid to go jump in and usually produces.
1: I, I, same thing in Tennessee, exactly what you're saying, and I'll pitch I know Andrew's got a question. he's burning here, but like I, I've seen it as well in, in places in Tennessee, and it, for some reason, it looks like when you have a when you have a house or a home site, you have all that open ground in the backyard because of that extra sunlight and depending on how they cut up to the tree line, it seems like there's always just a bunch of thick stuff growing in the backside of people's properties that they don't ever maintain. And because of that, mm-hmm. it's like a barrier that nobody's walking through that. If there's public on the back side of it, Nobody's actually walking through that real thick stuff, unless they're a hardcore deer hunter and they're cutting a trail through it, to go hunt. And it's like that perf- perfect buffer zone where those deer can lay up. And because the average guy is not going to get, you know, within that, you know, shooting safe distance of housing. So some, some states, if it's archery season, it's 50 yards. Some states it's 100 yards. Some states it's 150 yards. Like how far away from dwellings you have to be. But it's like they live right in that little buffer zone. And sometimes big bucks, too, I haven't seen – I'm trying to think, I don't know if I've seen like a really big buck in, in one of those areas, but a ton of does and younger deer for sure. And uh, the area I was talking about in Arkansas, my brother had hunted that spot a couple years previously during the rut and had a couple really nice bucks just zigzagging through that thick stuff on the backside of those fish camps, bumping does, and he just couldn't get a shot at them. Uh, and uh, so it, it is a, a really interesting dynamic, but it's like one of those spots that, you know, if you find something like that on, on some public, you could go into one of those places blind, and especially if there's feed trees out away from those house, those home sites, uh, potentially have some success. Or just knowing that hey, there's gonna be a buffer around those houses that you're gonna find deer, you know, congregating, feeding mm-hmm. and potentially bedding in, and you're hunting like the fringes of it. But Andrew,
2: what you well, mean? so one, th- you said a lot of stuff there that I think we could really dive deep on and unpack. But I want to start in the beginning where you're talking about going to Onyx and you're trying to find. Places that are going to hold deer, but also places where you're going to hunt a mature buck, and that being a separate thing from just finding deer. And you, one of the things you mentioned right there at the very beginning is that you're looking for where there's a lot of stuff coming together, a lot of habitat edges, like here's a swamp that meets some pines that meet hardwood drainage, whatever the case may be is that something that you're looking for just for general deer travel? Are you looking at, at linear features, you know, like a, like a hard line between like pines and hardwoods is like a travel corridor. Or are you looking at that as an area that because of all the diversity is going to hold the kind of buck that you're looking for? Yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I had a feeling you'd say that. Uh, the, it, it,
0: it's, It depends on what I'm looking at as far as what I expect to find there. Um, Some places, just from previous experience, I find certain things on, um, you know, Onyx coming together as far as it's, it's some is kind of like something I've hunted before that I produced on and I'm jumping in there without a doubt. It may, may work, it may not, it may repeat, it may not, but it's a place to go. And that's, that's the biggest thing about going in blind. Like you, you have to kind of get it out of your head that you're going to be successful every time you go in. Um, you can't, you can't be, and I don't know of anybody that is, I I, I don't, I don't know of anybody that tags out in with the number of bucks with the, you know, that amount of sits every single year. I, I, I'm sure there's somebody out there, but I don't know. It, it, it doesn't work that way. And for me sitting, like picking the first thing is it's, it's so, it's so scattered and hard to, um, pinpoint the different things I do on this, but the picking a spot, you, you have to pick an area. The first thing I do is pick an area. Like I pick not a, a specific spot, but an area that I'm willing to explore and I'm willing to hunt um, that has something that just looks really great in it or a couple of places and I'm kind of making backup plans when I'm looking at it. I'm going to go here and I, I want to look at this. I want to go, you know, check uh, if it's got a, if if there's a Creek flowing through it, it's got Creek banks and you can see tracks in the Creek bank. Um, you can see sign. I don't do real well on scrapes. I've sat a lot of scrapes. I think the majority, I, I truly believe the majority of sign we see are um is nocturnal sign it, it, it's stuff happening it happening at night i think the deer are on their feet a lot more at night than they are during the day but don't be fooled when you know you go sit somewhere and you don't see deer it's not it doesn't mean you'll never see a deer there but you're dropping your chances if you go back to a place you don't see deer on and i'm I do it. I'll, I'll sit a place where I really think something's going to happen. I may go sit it again later in the season or something. Maybe I wasn't there on the right day, but I'm most likely going to move. I'm going to go hunt something different, but I am, I'm looking for an area and in that area, I want to find a couple of spots. And in those spots, I want to find the sign I'm looking for. And that's, that's kind of my process as far as getting there, but I'm not really disappointed anymore if I go to one of those spots and I don't find what I'm looking for. And I also get in places and you may not see the sign that's there. Uh, <clears throat> had a, I had a little property I got permission on. Um, it's probably been six or seven years now, maybe a little longer. Um, there, it was on a, on a, a young growth pine edge with, um, some hardwoods and old growth pines. And there was this one little pine tree that was maybe three foot tall and it was kind of by itself. It was just, it was that tree that's going to get rubbed. You know, it was going to get rubbed, but there was never a rub on it. And I was, I was surprised because it was just by itself. And there was a lot of buck activity. Well, I ended up putting a camera in there. I had eight different bucks rubbing that tree on camera and it took about two months before I could physically tell looking at it, standing next to it, that they had rubbed that tree. There's a lot of sign out there that we don't see, that that's just really not visible. I mean, it, they were, I had them on camera bending that tree over, doubling it over to the ground and just tearing it up but they were they were using it more as a scent marker, I think, than they were like rubbing it with their antlers. And it just had some real fine little scratches and stuff, right? But I had eight different racked bucks bending that tree over to the ground. And you couldn't tell looking at it. So the sign isn't always there. The biggest, the biggest body deer, one of the bigger bucks I've ever killed, he was 230 pounds. His scrape was the size of a like a a saucer it was his scrape was about six inches eight inches wide and he had a rub on a tree smaller than my pinky finger that was the biggest deer i've ever killed and the reason i hunted there was his track was in the middle of that scrape and it was bigger than my hand and i had probably six or seven of his tracks and we'd had some rain um the previous couple of days and you could see that those tracks were there day after day, Uh, you know, going in and you could see the rain kind of timestamp on it. And that's, that's another thing I really look at is I'm looking for that kind of timestamp on the sign. I want to see, I want to see sign that's repeatable. And uh, that is, you know, he's been coming back and forth through there multiple days, not just, I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever seen a a buck kind of, especially during the rut, where a lot of activity going around. You may see him five or six times in a sit and move back through a place, but you can hunt there for another two or three weeks and never see him again. So that a whole bunch of sign that looks like it was made at the same time, I I wanna see stuff repeatable. I I don't care near as much about rub, like fresh rubs, is I do historic rubs and seeing, man, I get into a spot that has rubs. It looks like the trees have been rubbed for the last 20 years, every single year, where there's scars in trees that are that big around and there's fresh rubs on small trees. And it it just looks like they've been rubbed since those trees have been growing in that one area. That's probably a, a kind of a historic spot where they for whatever reason, geography, food, whatever reason they move through there, they do it year in and year out. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking for, that repeatable sign, not not just the one one off thing. I, I think a lot of the scrapes we find are, um, they get made and abandoned or they move off and start chasing a doe or, um, you know, they get, <laughs> I mean, you've seen they get, uh, you know, two bucks get near each other and they start getting aggressive. They start rubbing trees. They start tearing up branches. They start you know, doing, um, uh, uh, territorial stuff. And I think that might be a lot of, you know, what we find, or at least what I find. Cause I, I've spent a ton of time hunting scrapes and rubs with that are fresh, really, really fresh where, I mean, I've found scrapes where the urine in them is still steaming when it's cold and just religiously hunted it. Knew I was going to find that deer. Never seen him. And I'm, I'm, I'm better off finding, at least for me, finding that sign that is repeatable. And you know, not only is there a big buck using it, but he's coming back more than once. He's been, he's been there multiple times, multiple days. There's a good chance. He's going to come back again.
1: OnX Hunt is known for being a super easy-to-use mapping application that a lot of us are already currently using. But one part about OnX that you may not be aware of is there elite benefits for elite members? Some extremely notable companies that are part of your elite benefits with OnX is Vortex, First Light, Woodhaven Custom Calls, Lacrosse Boots, Final Rise Vests, Silencer Central, Federal Ammunition, and much more. There's over 30 different companies, guys. That offers special discounts and promotions along with special services for elite members with your elite benefits. You can find this on your app or on the web browser version of Onyx and be able to redeem your special discounts and services through your elite benefits. Now, if you aren't currently an Onyx elite member, you can actually use the promo code SOUTHERN when you download the app to be able to save 20% off your membership. Again, if you're not currently an Onyx elite member, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout. When downloading the app to be able to save 20% on your membership. So take advantage guys of these elite benefits with your elite membership with Onyx and know where you stand with Onyx.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we
0: don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one. With your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style
2: advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices that's an excellent subject to kind of go down the rabbit hole on because there's there's so much there. And even what you said earlier about the deer trails, finding those just cattle path deer trails that are six to eight inches wide, beat down, you know, dug into the earth. I mean, it just looks like a hundred deer have walked through there. I'll put cameras on those because like you said, when you find one, you're like, oh, this is it. And most of the time it's does coming through and it's like a group of two does and they are maybe more than that, but like there'll be two or three does. And they come through like every other day and they just walk the same path. And all the trails I've ever had those on, like sometimes you'll get a big buck, but it'll be at like one o'clock in the morning, you know, and it'll be one time in like a month and a half or something like that. Uh, but yep. the, the, the sign discussion is super interesting. Cause that's, that's one thing that's confused me for a really long time. Like me and my buddy Zach grew up hunting this one place and we would always find all these rubs, like clusters of rubs in random spots Looking back, a lot of times it was in, like, a thermal hub or something like that. But there'd be, like, a little thicket down by a creek, and every year we'd find something like this. There'd be a little thicket down in a creek, and there would be, like, all the trees that were the right size were rubbed, like all of them. And we would hunt it and never see anything. And then eventually, as we kind of, like, learned more and more about what was going on, we would notice there's also some beds down there. And what looking back, what I think it was is, like a buck maybe bedded up with a doe in that in that area while she was in heat or something, and he's just tearing up all those trees. Or, or kind of like you said, you know, two bucks, they're kind of passing through next to each other, and and they see one another, and, and they get fired up, and they want to start, you know, tearing up some bushes or whatever to get their aggression out. Um, and that's one thing I wanted to go in into with you next was the idea of what separates sign, because you were talking about a lot of scrapes, they're made at night, those trails, a lot of that's made at night. A lot of rubs are made at night. So what you're saying is you're just looking for sign that that it, it seems like he's been back and forth through there a lot over the, I don't know, last two or three weeks. Uh, or you're looking for historical sign. But where I was going with that is with the historical sign, how do you determine that you're there at, at the right time? You know, like if there's a bunch of historical rubs, do you need to see super fresh rubs with shavings on the ground or are you going to maybe come back to that spot and see if there's fresh rubs in it in like two weeks? Like how do you approach that situation where you find historical rubs?
0: Uh, If I get into that, if I get into that kind of place where you just, every tree in the place is rubbed and has been, you know, for years and years and years, Um, there's, most likely more than one buck using it. it it's usually not one buck making all those rubs you're probably getting into an area where you're, you're starting to get some some uh, multiple bucks you know moving around and if I get into that and I I've had this happen I had a place uh, not far from the house here where I found it late real late season. Um, and I ended up going back the next year and it just wasn't happening. Like the, all the old rubs were still there, but there wasn't a single fresh one and they weren't there. I I still went and sat and didn't see them, but I learned they're not there early season, not in the beginning of the season. So I ended up going back, um, I want to say two or three months later and tried it again because I knew at some point they come in there, went back and I ended up, um, I ended up missing a, a big buck in there the next time. But it it's, I mean, I guess that's the, (laughs) that is the challenge you know, trying to differentiate between, you know, what's a good cluster assigned to hunt and what's not. But if you get into that place where there are you know rubs everywhere like that, and there's not a single fresh one, there's probably not a whole lot going on right then. Um you you may want to move on and and hunt something different and come back and try that again later in the season. Um it, it may pay off. Um, they may not be, they may not really be aggressive yet. They may not be rubbing yet. You gotta, you gotta take into account what time of year it is you're hunting too. I mean, we, we start pretty early here and we hunt, I mean, they're still, they're still in velvet. When we start here, they're, they're not really rutting yet. They're not running. A lot of times they're in bachelor groups and there's not a whole lot of sign. Um, as far as you know, rut rut sign, um, rubs, scrapes stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> that time of year, I'm looking more for uh, travel routes. I, I don't hunt um, feeding areas as much as I want to be in a, a pinch point travel route and catch those groups coming through. Um, I also find that early time of the year is Super risky on getting in. If it's a place um, that you plan on going back to, you know you're you're gonna go back in. Um, we've got at least I've got a couple of little real small private spots. I tend to shy away from a little bit um, early season just because, man, you get you get into one of those uh, bachelor groups and you do. I mean, even if you're successful. And you shoot a deer out of one of those groups, you probably burned your spot for quite a while. They're gonna know something's going on in there. So, it, I, I, I don't hunt super hard that first part of the year. I don't really care for killing deer in velvet either. So i try to, I try to wait until I can um, get some confirmation they're shedding their velvet off before I'll even go after them because they'll they'll be splitting up and they're kind of spreading out a little bit and you have a less chance of, um, you know, letting every deer around know you're there. But I also, I'm probably not going to sit the same tree. So I don't, I don't worry about it religiously or anything, but I, it depends on where I'm hunting, um, how small the area is, how small the block is on how aggressive I get going in and diving into it. Um, a lot of places I'm not going back to maybe all year. Um, I may be only, you know, hunting them once or twice in the year and I'll spread it out across the season. If that's the case, I'm going to be as absolutely as aggressive as I can and dive in. Um, it's, it's really kind of situation specific on, what I'm looking for sign wise, where, how far I'm going to push it, how deep I'm going to go in. Am I trying to get on top of them in their bed? Am I trying to, you know, catch them on that travel route, going to feed? Am I trying to, you know, you're getting more towards the rut time. You're, you're looking for more of those, uh, or at least I'm looking for more of those cruising areas those late morning, I killed the majority of my deer late morning, Um, late morning to middle of the day. That's when I have shot the majority of my mature bucks. And that's uh, either feeding times coming back uh, after they get up in the morning and they're moving to their midday bed or that um, especially kind of rut time that cruising, in those, those kind of pinch points. And so.
1: Carl, to and kind of, I'll say Carl to ahead. kind of uh, talk about and discuss even more so about <clears throat> the art of hunting blind and how you're really doing this and having success, killing mature bucks in your area of the country, which not only has just, you know, a lot of hunting pressure, but just uh, it's uh, th- there's so much things that are going against you. Like the extreme thick cover, you know, you sent me photos before in some of these areas that you hunt where you have meadows from, your ankles all the way up to eight, nine feet tall, you know, seven, eight, nine feet tall. And it's like, you can't find sign very easily when you're walking through crap like that. So, uh, and then other areas, you know, you have other areas that are more open than that and and everything in between. But one thing I've been always interested with, because I didn't mention this earlier in the podcast, but I've had success doing what you're doing. Again, hunting blind, going off aerial imagery, going off on X, finding areas with a lot of habitat diversity. We have three or four different habitat edges all coming together in one spot going in there, sitting that spot, and either killing deer, either seeing a bunch of deer, or potentially even have a really good opportunity at seeing or getting an opportunity at killing a, a really big buck as well. Um, there's a couple spots in Tennessee that come in mind where two spots, a year and a half, or, or a year apart, two seasons apart, um, did the exact same thing you're talking about, going in blind on morning hunts, and, and having extreme close opportunities in, in, at killing two absolutely big deer. And what I wanted to ask you is, what is your thought process of hunting blind, going in on a morning sit where maybe you're only going to hunt until like noon or so versus on these days that when you get to go in, you can hunt all day long. <laughs> what is your thought process? Cause you've talked about finding some of that sign, but how are you finding sign or finding exactly where you want to sit in the dark and figuring out what tree you want to climb? What's kind of going through your process after you find the spot on on X and then actually applying it when you're going in the dark, potentially on, on a morning sit.
2: Um,
0: (laughs) good question. (laughs) Um, going in, you I I try to use as dim a light as possible. Um, I'm it's so thick here, you can't see real far anyway. Um, so a, a real bright light doesn't help you a whole lot. I as far as kind of tactics to it, I think um, scent has a shelf life on it. And the earlier you go in, the the less likely deer are bothered by it, that you used to be there and you're not still there. Um, so that's kind of one of the things. I, I also try to go up the tree without a light as much as possible um i don't because the deer make a lot of noise here as long as you're not making people sounds metal clanging you know bow limbs slapping metal you know as long as you're you're not making unnatural sounds the deer it's just as thick for the deer and they're making a lot of noise so i'm i'm trying to go into a spot in the morning, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make any more noise than I have to, but at the same time, I'm not too worried about it. I'm going into an area that I've decided I want to hunt or I want to at least go try to get in. And sometimes there isn't a whole lot more to it than just getting up a tree, finding the tree in the area you wanted to go and getting just getting up a tree where you can see, or at least think you can see. Sometimes you get up the tree and it gets daylight and you can't see anything you thought you you could. Um, but a, a lot of times it's, it's really no more than that. Just picking out a spot and jumping up the tree. Um, sometimes it's getting in there and, you know, actually it's a little different than you thought it was. And you've got to make an adjustment on, uh you know which direction you're facing or move over 30 40 yards to get to be able to see uh into that thicker cover it may be a little more open um somewhere and you you wanna i don't find a lot of deer in real open terrain here um for the most part they're in thicker stuff and just just like that um uh the what we were talking about being up behind the houses and that thick that thicker strip behind the houses find the that thicker uh vegetation off of those open areas maybe a, you've got a little swamp bottom or a creek bottom um or a, a swamp edge where it drops down to the edge of the swamp it gets real open under the hardwoods but up on the top edge of the hill it's a lot thicker Um, so I'm gonna lean more towards that that thicker spot and I found now that um, I did I never really realized this before until I switched over to the saddle but when I was hunting out of the climber I used to see deer coming um, in front of me or to me almost all the time and now out of the saddle they're almost always behind me Uh, well, the, the, I'm usually on some sort of edge, uh, to a degree, um, the trees lean out towards the light and whether you're in a climber or a saddle, you're usually going to be on that, that upward part of the bend. Um, cause it's usually pretty uncomfortable to be on the downside of the bend in a tree. So I found that the, whatever you're on, on the thicker side, is usually where the deer are moving and (laughs) a little further more on that um i like to be my shooting distance from the edge um it depend, and that that depends on where i'm at how far i can shoot um how far i can see a lot of places i can hunt you don't have much more than a 20 yard shot or so. And that's just in a pothole down underneath you. Um, You know, you've got a little, you've got a little three foot gap in some palmettos over here. You've got a, a, you know, a little gap in the wax myrtles on this side or whatever. And it may only be 10, 15, 20, 30 yards. And that may be it, but I want to put myself, whatever my, my like, max range i can shoot from that edge because more than likely the deer aren't going to be moving in the open side of it they're going to be moving inside and they're probably going to be moving near that edge somewhere i want to be i want to double my odds i don't want to be on the edge like if if you're hunting on a on a river a big river a big lake or like here um salt marsh or something like that, most likely the deer's not going to come up out of the middle of the lake to you. So why cut your odds in half? Um, that's And that's something I look at for a lot of the places I hunt is kind of just, you know, odds and statistics. Well, I know if I if I put myself up against a lake or a big river or something like that, I just cut off half my chances. I cut off half the possibilities of deer to come to me. Not that it's not possible for a deer to swim across a lake or a river to you, but it's probably not real likely. So I want to be somewhere where I'm not against a wall deer can't come from. And that I apply that too to the, like, just, um, uh, terrain differences and edges. If you've got a, a big giant, um, clear cut or an open, uh, pine flat or an open river bottom or whatever it may be whatever you know open area that you usually don't see deer move across in open daylight um why sit right on the edge of that and cut off your chances for deer coming to you so that that's that's something i'm looking at when i'm going in blind and i'm looking at you know, where am I going to sit that's that's a big thing I'm looking at where can I sit that I have the most chances for deer to come to me and the thicker stuff I get up in, the better it's I want I want to find that place where things are coming together um, or that bottleneck but I also want to find that place to sit in that area that I have, the most chances so if you have if you have um let's say you have a a, a duck pond or a, a marsh or something you've got a dike going across it um and that dike's 100 yards long where's your place for the the most chances at deer there's a tree right in the middle of that dike and there's a tree at either end of it and there's a tree 40 yards off of the end of that dike up in the thicker woods. I wanna be in that tree. I wanna have that 40 yard shot to anything coming off of that dike, but I also wanna have that 40 yard shot to anything moving 80 yards away from the end of that dike, cruising the edge through the thicker stuff. And that that's probably one of the biggest things i look at going into a spot is how can I up my chances at being able to have an interaction with the most deer possible? How can I, how can I get within range of the most deer that are moving through this finite area I've picked and still not cut myself off because of that? And I've fallen for this multiple times. You, you find that scrape that you, you know you just think it's awesome and you want to honor that big rub and you sit right on top of it well if you're real confident shooting 20 30 40 yards or something why not move off of it a bit because a lot of times those are on edges um you know the deer edge creatures a lot of time we find that sign on an oak you know some sort of open terrain versus thick terrain it'll be on that edge somewhere why not get a little farther off of it, um, you know, I'm not saying stretch it out past what you could shoot, but increase your odds that that's, um, going to, you know, what you asked about going into blind and what I'm looking for and getting him. That's a huge thing. I'm, I'm looking at and trying not to put myself in a corner where I'm hunting five feet instead of hunting 80 yards. And I want that 80 yard circle. That, that I may only have one little pothole out there that I can shoot, but I want that pothole. I want that possibility. And I try to up my odds as much as absolutely possible.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, I was just thinking, uh, so last year I killed, uh, I guess, three, no, two bucks, two mature bucks uh, going in blind, you know, areas I had never been to before, uh, just based off... The maps based off, you know, it, these areas kind of creating a funnel that I, I thought I would have an opportunity. Now I'm hunting most of the time with a muzzleloader rifle. Uh, haven't done this with a with a bow. You're doing a lot of this with a bow and sometimes a muzzleloader, depending on like what it plays out. But you're killing all these bucks with a bow, doing like what I've had success with, but kind of on a even more difficult level because again the limited shot opportunities that you have in some of these spots. Um, now the the thing that I've always thought of when, when you kind of go in blind is and this is something i really want you to discuss on the idea it's hard to do this if you haven't had success already finding if you're trying to kill mature but now if you're just trying to kill deer you know if you're just trying to kill a doe or kill you know really any deer but especially does you can still go in and hunt blind like this but the thing is you have to have some success on where you're finding deer what does it look like on aerial imagery? and like How are they using it? And then trying to find similar areas on aerial imagery. Same thing with mature bucks. It's like, if you're hunting you know, river bottoms and you start having a bunch of run-ins with with bucks and river bottoms, what does the habitat look like? How are the bucks using it? And then how can I go find that same area in a different state, a different part of my state, a yeah. different part of the piece of public land and go in there for the first time. And that's how you have success. And that's something that's really kind of, I'm, I'm having more success the last few years doing this just because you go in certain areas with a lot of habitat diversity with some kind of especially a water feature and sitting those areas and having close encounters you know either killing a deer or seeing a buck and then replicating that in other areas and that's kind of how I personally have found success doing what you're doing getting kind of hunting blind in, in other areas what is your thought process on the idea of you've got to have success first on knowing what those bucks are going to be using and how they're using the habitat you're hunting in before you start going out there and trying to apply this. Because if it's a newer hunter who hasn't really had the success finding and getting on deer, it's hard for them to hunt like the style we're talking about now uh, versus someone who's been doing it for a while and has had the success of those encounters or killing deer and then yeah. be able to replicate that in new areas. Well, the
0: Um, do I mean do you think that you have any less odds killing a big buck never having killed a big buck before or had an encounter with a big buck before or even killed a deer before do you have any less odds than somebody that's done it a, a hundred times I, I don't think so the only if you hunt something different than you hunted before, because if you hunted, if you hunted something, it doesn't matter what it is. So you hunted a swamp edge and there's, you had two or three things coming together on the swamp edge and you went and sat it and you didn't kill anything or you didn't see anything. If you go and do something different than you did that morning in the afternoon do, do you really have any less odds than anybody else doing? It? I think the only thing that keeps that new person that's never done it before, that doesn't have the confidence in it from doing it is the fact they haven't done it yet. That's that's the only real odds against somebody is to continue to do something that doesn't work. And that, that's kind of, I mean, I didn't have success with it until I did and we just started having success with it. So we kept doing it. Um, It it is hard to do. It's hard to um, beat that kind of mentality out of your mind that you can't kill a big buck unless you find a bunch of sign from a big buck and, you know, unless you find a, a scrape that's six feet wide and a, a rub on a tree that's, a, you know, bigger around than you can reach your arms around, you'll never kill a big buck. I mean, how many stories do you hear about that kid the first time he ever went hunting and killed some state record or a monster, or, you know, the, the brother-in-law that got taken that they shoved him off in a corner somewhere because they didn't want to deal with him and he killed some stud because he did something different than everybody else on that property was doing. They, um, it, it's you definitely get some experience and, um, you know, kind of background to rely on as far as doing it. But man, I, I really believe if if you get out there and do something different every time you go you've got i think somebody walking in the woods for the first time this season the first time they've ever hunted has just as much odds as killing a big buck as i do for sure because i was once that guy that hadn't done it before and i just started doing it and i didn't have any experience killing big bucks but now i've gotten to the point where I'm seeing somewhere, it depends on which property I'm hunting, which, you know, which public land, which private property, but I see roughly three, somewhere between three to seven to one bucks a does. I don't see many does anymore because I don't hunt them. I'm not looking for does. I'm not looking for feeding areas. I'm not, I'm looking for a place a big buck lives. And I'm looking for a place he moves through and those pinch points. And I, I don't know, uh, I, I really don't see that many does. I, I, I roughly see um, somewhere between 100 to 300 deer a year, um, give or take on the season. It depends on how much I'm able to get out. I only get I only get 20 um, something days to hunt outside of the, the week or two I get to take off of work. And hunt, but as far as I'm on call um, one weekend a month, and our public land's only open on Saturdays. So, out of our four and a half month season, I only get twenty something days to hunt on on the public land. And I don't get to choose the the day or the time I get to hunt. Really, I just have to. I have to go if I if I want to go, I have to go. Um, I don't get to, I don't get to choose the best days. I've got to hunt on the days I'm able to hunt. And I just try to make the most out of that and cover the absolute most ground I can and hunt the most spots I can and try to up my odds on, um, not only the areas I'm hunting as far as just bouncing around and hunting just absolutely as much as I can and covering. I, I do and don't get me wrong, I do scout some but I do most of my scouting in between my morning and afternoon sit or <clears throat> on my way in on my way out. I, I almost always try to take a different route in and out than I went in um, I, I wanna I want to see something different, um, especially that daytime uh, travel time where I'm I'm walking. You know, I may, I may be coming out. I may only be able to hunt a morning and have something I have to do that afternoon. I can't go hunting. I'm going to try to take, I'm going to try to take the longest route I can on the way out and just cover some ground that I've never seen before. I may come back and hunt it. There's, there's times during the season where I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go next. And I'm like, man, I, I walked through that one place last year and it looked pretty cool. I'm going to go sit that this afternoon or I'm going to go sit that this morning and I'll, I'll go sit a place I've never sat before, but I may have walked through it a year or two ago and saw something worthwhile in there, but I saw it at noon and I wasn't, um, you know, it's a lot of our seasons hot down here. And man, sometimes you just can't sit till two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, some we've got days during our season that are in the mid nineties, and you just uh, you can't carry enough water to make it through the whole day, and you've got to come out. So I'll walk through some places that look really good, but I just can't stay to hunt it that afternoon. Or I'm on my way to another spot, and I'll jot it down, market you know, market on Onyx or something like that, and I'll um <laughs> hopefully remember it. Um, and you start getting. Uh, I mean, when, when we met up there in Tennessee, I was seeing some of some of uh, your onyx stuff, and it's hard to remember all those marks. On they start they start blending together a little bit, but you know, hopefully, you remember it when the time's right and you get to dive in there. But I, I think that's the biggest thing for me is is not only trying to find those spots, but increasing my odds when I do. And on top of that, capitalizing on an opportunity when it comes, it's, our woods are tight. We don't have, um, I've tried to film a little bit on hunts and you get to see three seconds of deer footage when half his body enters a hole and it just, there's nothing to watch. So it kind of wasn't worth doing, but you you have a, a lot of times it's a, a a couple second opportunity to you know make it happen and then practice uh pra- for the guys that bow hunt practice 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 shooting um off like off kilter shots i used to practice i used to sit on a cooler when i was hunting out of a climber all the time i used to sit on a cooler to practice and i would shoot behind me to the side of me so i could because sometimes you don't have time to stand up in the climber and you have to shoot sitting down. So I would shoot odd angles. Um, I also, uh, one of the big things I do that I think helped me quite a bit capitalizing on those opportunities is I hold my pin on the doe from the, or on the deer from the moment I see him and I'm holding my pin on my bow on him the whole time. And I draw my peep to my eye and it hits my sight picture in one stroke. I, I don't pull my bow back and put it on the deer, find my sight, find, find my picture. It's a, it's kind of a half second deal. And I pull, when I pull back, my peep hits my eye and I keep pulling and pull right through my trigger. And it's, it's just a one stroke deal and my shot's off in probably half a second or a second. From the time I start drawing to me shooting I don't, I don't draw when he's behind a tree. I draw when I have a shot and I draw and make the shot right then and there. It doesn't matter if he looks at you, you know, he catches you drawing. If you're already shooting, it's already over at that point. But uh, that's one of the, I think that's a, a critical thing too, is capitalizing on those chances you get because they're few and far between. And you have to make it happen when it does happen. And getting especially for the guys that bow hunt, getting that bow back and shooting is is a huge thing. That's um I think that's helped me be successful too, as far as just making it happen when that opportunity does arrive.
1: Yeah, and that's cost me so much, you know. <laughs> I've mentioned this on a couple other podcasts in the past that my smartphone, my, my iPhone, has saved more bucks lives than anything else I can imagine. Yeah. Um, just you know, so many different si- situations that have happened, run-ins with bucks that, you know, weren't completely, uh, you know, aware of the situation. And by the time, you know, he's stepping through that opening, especially bow season, it's like by the time you grab your bow, there's no <laughs> opportunity left at him. Um. So that's a really good point. But, uh, Carl, greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, dude. This is something. This is a uh, uh, an interesting hunting style that, again, I've had success with. I've thoroughly enjoyed this style of hunting just because it's always an adventure. And like you said, even when you're going in blind, you're kind of hunt- you're kind of scouting your way into that spot, even if it's in the dark. You're paying attention to your surroundings, the situation, how to pick your tree, and it's a it's a it's a, a learned skill set that I think is just a, another added tool that people can add to their uh, toolbox really to hunt throughout the season and really try to become more versatile uh, especially if maybe the areas you've been scouting a whole bunch just haven't been paying off you've got to go to a new area understanding how to read you know maps understanding how to be able to use on x and find those habitat diversities where you have multiple edges come together going and sit in those spots even if you haven't scouted that you could potentially get a really good opportunity at a really good deer and again it's worked for me in the past uh i thoroughly enjoyed it and that also it adds a little bit more adventure to the actual hunt itself um, but, uh, as a point to wrap up, Carl, do you have any kind of final thoughts or anything before we kind of wrap up this episode?
2: Yeah,
0: I, I think something really important to realize is somebody that's never done this. That's going to try to jump into it is the bad sits are just as good as the good sits. You, you learn from it, sitting somewhere and not seeing something isn't, It's not a it's not a failure. It's not you didn't do something wrong. Learn from it and just go do something different next time. That's the I I think the confidence in it is one of the hardest things to get over because you go out there, you know, and you you see. I mean, there's so much there's so much stuff on social media and TV now as far as you see these people shooting these big bucks all the time. And it, it, a lot of that's not reality and you have to, and you're only seeing the successful part. They, they spend a lot of time in a stand or in a blind and they don't shoot stuff, but you only see the action on TV because they don't want to show you an empty field. That, that's not exciting to watch. The building the confidence in it, it'll happen if you keep moving around you you keep doing different things it will, will happen it, you'll get on some deer it's the experience comes with those you know sits that don't produce anything just as much as it comes from the ones that do so don't be don't be discouraged or don't be afraid to go try something different just because the first time didn't work out or even the 10th time didn't work out Keep keep moving. It, especially for the guys that are trying to figure it out and haven't had success before. Well, what you were doing wasn't working, so why not, you know, keep doing something different until it does? It, it's uh it's a trial and error thing. And there I think you find the majority of the people that do hunt like this that just walk in blind, hunt new spots all the time. I imagine most of them are um, kind of like me. Where there is no, there is no magic recipe that there's one specific thing they hunt all the time. It's just the the continuation of keep moving in different spots until they find something that's working at that time in that place. And there's no. Um, it, it's really hard to explain it as far as like this is exactly what I do because I don't have anything that I do exactly the same over and over again. I I hunt different stuff the entire season and move around. And that's the secret sauce. That's the, that's the one thing that I do that's repeatable that I keep having success with is the randomness and just sitting something different all the time. And it's, there is no, it's, it's not just a fresh scrape or a fresh rub or historical rubs, you know, area or something like that. It's just a multitude of different things that I sit. And the, the, the only thing that I, I I think I really do over and over again is I don't sit what I sat last time. If, if I sat, uh, If I sat, you know, some pinch point in a swamp, I'm I'm gonna try to find some high ground in the afternoon. If it didn't work out, if I if I, you know, see a big buck and he heads off in a direction, I'm gonna go as far as I can go in that direction, and just find something different than I sat in that morning. Or if he was, uh, you know, I may try to repeat what the kind of terrain he was in but i'm gonna do it in a different place i'm not gonna stay there just because i saw a deer or i had some action that's that's telling me i figured out the kind of thing they're in but i need to be in a different place because i wasn't successful in the place i was in
1: yeah absolutely well carl greatly appreciate you joining us uh listeners and viewers preach y'all joining us as well and, uh, Carl, best luck to you this season. Hopefully we can get you over here to Alabama hunt with us a little bit later on in the year. Uh, and, and I'm looking
0: forward to it, man. I'm already planning on it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, awesome, let's awesome. go. A little sweet. Well, y'all will see more with Carl later in this season then. But appreciate y'all joining us. And uh, make sure you tune in for this Thursday for the outro episode. We kind of break down this topic in a lot more. So, thanks for everybody joining us. And we'll catch you back for another episode from the Southern Outdoors.
2: to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about